When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Artist. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Artist, and the story is as follows. In the 1920s, actor George Valentin is a bona fide matinee idol with many adoring fans. While working on his latest film, George finds himself falling in love with an ingenue named Peppy Miller. And what's more, it seems Peppy feels the same way. But George is reluctant to cheat on his wife with the beautiful young actress. The growing popularity of sound in movies further separates the potential lovers as George's career begins to fade while Pepe's star rises. The film is starring Jean Dujardin, Berenice Bejo, James Cromwell, Penelope Ann Miller, Malcolm McDowell, John Goodman. It is directed and written by Michelle. Excuse me, you didn't mention my Best Supporting Actor winner, Uggy. <laughs> of course. Of Good course. Matt, come on. And it is written and directed by Michelle Hasnavanovicius. Here to join me today for this 2011 Patreon throwback podcast review, I have Alyssa Christian. Hello. Nadia Dalamante. Hello. Sarah Clements. Hello, hello. And Daniel Howitt. Hello. The dog lover amongst us, apparently. <laughs> All right, so The Artist had its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival in 2011, where it won the Best Actor Prize for Jean Chujardin. It was then picked up by the Weinstein Company, who gave it a theatrical release, a huge Oscar campaign, went on to win three Golden Globe Awards, was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, winning a total of five that year, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Jean Chujardin. And it was a film that, in many ways, reignited people's love for the silent film era at that time. It was the first film presented in 4 by 3 aspect ratio to win Best Picture since uh, 1953's From Here to Eternity. It was the first mainly silent film to win Best Picture since Wings, which dates all the way back to the first Academy Awards in 1929. And it was the first black and white film uh, to win since Schindler's List in 1993. I mean, like, this movie... This movie, in terms of just an, uh, an experiment, is something to behold, for sure. We're going to talk about the movie itself, how it is held up 12 years later, but also, to look back on its awards run. Was it deserved? Was it not? Some of us have seen it for the first time. Others here have repeat-watched it over the last couple of years. Some of us have not seen it since... 2011. So, let's talk about the legacy of the artist. Starting off first with Nadia Talamante. Nadia, what was your history like with this film, and what do you think of it today? So, I I rewatched the artist very recently, and it was my it was my second viewing. The first was 
over 10 years ago when it was first released. So this was a major retrospective for me going into this movie a second time. And in revisiting it, I realized all these years after I had really forgotten how just how much of a character study it is, how dark the story gets in its exploration of of old Hollywood, how nightmarish it is at times. It's it's definitely not as light and bouncy as the vague recollection I had of it in my mind. So it was a really interesting rewatch for me after all these years. And it, it, it put this on my list of movies that have made me cry in a very unexpected way. Like the kind of cry that just sneaks up on you, which I love. Then there's one scene in particular that I'm thinking about that that I'm sure we'll touch on later. Uh, it, I I sort of fell in love with this movie. It, it's I think it's as much about the despair of uh, of lost talent as it is about the joy that arts and movies bring to audiences. It definitely feels like a like an ode to Hollywood and and the silent movie era. And it's it's also this really very depressing tale of this artistic transformation and its emotional, creative, financial toll on artists who who couldn't find their voice in 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 all that noise, um, which is so I think wonderfully conveyed in one of my favorite scenes of the film is this really, really surreal dream sequence where our protagonist, George Valentin, and we, the audience, start to hear the sounds of objects and he's shouting in the mirror but can't hear the sound of his own voice. So it, the use of sound in the movie really, really struck me. Outside of the music, of course, is the sound is overall very, very minimal, but so, so deeply effective in its ability to make you feel terror, like in that dream sequence, as well as joy, like in the dance sequence, for example, at the, at the end of the movie. Um, I, I think the telling of this particular story being the transition from silent films to talkies, of course, that's something that we've seen before, more recently with Damien Chazelle's Babylon, and of course, the classic, one of my all-time favorites, Staying in the Rain. I, I think that this movie, it, it it really finds a way of standing out pretty loudly in its study of character and how that that shift from silent movies to talkies is internalized by the protagonist and it, how his star is lost just as another's is skyrocketing. It, that really stayed with me upon my rewatch of it and and the performances as well. Uh, John Jean Dujardin is so charming and engaging in this. I think that his ability to just be so loud emotionally in a silent film is just wonderful to see. Berenice Bajot is great as well. She has this kind of futuristic quality to her where she's she's really immersed in the era, but she's also capturing a newness and being on the cusp of of change. And uh, the directions that their their characters' careers go in as a result of the the transition in in Hollywood is really engaging to watch. And it's this really bold reminder of this constantly adapting industry and how changing times affect the way we tell stories. I, what struck me the most, I think, is how the silent film era is, you could tell there's so much reverence for it and so much spirit. You could really feel the passion behind the making of the movie from the direction to the 
production design to the cinematography. And and I just I really had a smile on my face the majority of the time. It, it's charming. It it really won me over immediately because I hadn't seen it in a long time. There's a lot that I wasn't anticipating, and so there's a lot um, that kind of hit me unexpectedly. And it it does make me want to watch more silent films. Not that I didn't want to before, but it just really kind of emphasized my interest in them. And I think the immersion into this era, it just makes me want to go and discover art. Um, So I I really, it it really is a lovely watch overall for me. Okay. All right. Great uh, opening thoughts here. Uh, Let's move over next now to Alyssa Christian. Alyssa, what did you think of the artist? Yeah, so I do echo a lot of Nadia's thoughts there. I mean, the, the movie really captures the magic of the silent film era. And I remember being really kind of enchanted by the movie when I first saw it in theaters. And then I became really enamored of it. And um, I watched it a number of times in the first couple of years of its release. And I probably have seen it a fair number of times in those 12 years since it was released. I can't remember the last time I watched it. It probably had been a while. So it was really interesting to revisit it and see how, you know, it differs from similar movies. Like Nadia said, Babylon is covers a very similar subject. Interesting to see how that compares or differs. But it really does capture that magic. And it's kind of hard sometimes to put into words how special this movie is. Obviously, as she said, the performances are great. I mean, obviously, I do agree with Daniel. Uggy is definitely the best performance in the movie. <laughs> by far. Right. I just remember how utterly charming that dog was on the red carpet. They brought him to all these events. And I know it was technically a couple of different dogs, but he was the main one. So I'm almost convinced, and I and I I could be wrong for saying this, but I was reading somewhere that this film was originally not meant to screen in competition at Cannes the year it came out there, and I was wondering, man, I wonder if they moved it into competition just so that they could give it the Palm Dog Award for uh, Uggy. You know? like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got this one in the bag, fellas. <laughs> I can totally see that. I mean, that dog is such a scene stealer, seriously. I mean, (laughs) but yeah, obviously all the performances are great and the score is just so memorable. I mean, after rewatching it, I had the some of the themes stuck in my head and I was not mad about that at all. But obviously we've already talked about the really incredible sound work in this, especially in that dream or nightmare scenario. And yeah, sure, I maybe don't love it as much as I did back then because it kind of misses the novelty of having watched that way back then. And it's really, when you think about it, it's a fairly simple story. And after having seen something like Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born, it does kind of have a similar plot line if you think about it like that. And overall, I really just think it still holds up and the editing work, too, is fabulous. And I like how they're very selective with what dialogue they show on screen. And you have to kind of guess as to what they're really saying. But I mean, Berenice and John, they just are so great. And you can really get a sense of their you know, characters just from that. 
And as an actor myself, I know that much of acting is reacting. And so that's why this works so well with the two of them. So, yeah, I was really happy to revisit it. And it still holds up very well for me. Okay, great, great. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Daniel Howitt, over to you, sir. Yeah, you you asked about our history with the film uh, first, and I'm sure just about everyone listening to this episode and, and probably everyone on the show as well uh, has had a similar experience of how I watched The Artist back in 2011. You know that feeling when you walk into a theater in like mid-October and the theater is just full of old people and you know you're about to watch a banger of an, uh, of an awards movie? Um, and that was how I watched The Artist. There was a guy whose oxygen machine was churning the whole time and beeping throughout this silent movie. Uh, and it was the best. It was great. And I loved the artist. And so I, I was curious how how I was going to feel on a rewatch. I've rewatched it a couple times since. This wasn't my first time rewatching it. But the artist, I feel like we'll talk more about its Oscar you know, story later. But I, I think the artist falls into the category of movies whose reputation suffers largely because it won Best Picture. Uh, and so I think people uh, tend to tend to give it a hard time. And I really enjoyed my rewatch of the movie. I, you know, I, I echo what Alyssa and Nadia said. I mean, I, I appreciate that this movie exists so much. It's both an homage to the silent era and it's a great silent movie in its own right. So many other movies before it and since have tackled the transition from silence to talkies, but it's a great era to highlight and it's really rich for storytelling. And the artist isn't the most compelling story it's not extraordinarily deep but it's highly entertaining and, and and ultimately very sweet and emotional and there are so many creative bits that just still work really well on a rewatch to keep me invested and laughing or uh, as others have hinted at pretty emotional you know that the score the performances are all top notch it's at various times it's bouncy it's also dark it's silly it's also heartfelt and it's just a really solid movie from top to bottom that pays homage to to a great era for Hollywood. And and the reason I, I appreciate this movie existing is because it's a showcase for why people still go back and watch the old silent movies in the early talkie era. And, you know, we kind of had the same discussion when we reviewed Hugo for largely the same reasons that this is this is something that can spark people's interest for for many people, I imagine the artist is going to be the first silent movie 
people might ever see. And, and, you know, maybe it'll spark an interest in dipping their toe in the water of old Hollywood. And, and for that, I can't be mad at the artist. It's, it's highly entertaining and, uh, and, and it just works. It's just, it's just a good watch. And so, yeah, I still really enjoy it. Okay. Sarah Clements, I saved you for last for a particular reason. Because I just watched it recently for the first time. That would be it. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, in 2011, you know, 16-year-old Sarah was like, ew, black and white silent films. That's disgusting. I'm going to go watch Harry Potter. (laughs) But I have changed. And old Hollywood was a huge part of my life. I really admire how the artist, you know, being a silent film the whole way through, even when silent to talkies transition begins, it made this having it silent during the talkies transition made it much more um, impactful to watch, especially the George character. You can see how much he struggles with that transition, especially when he there's certain scenes like when he's surrounded by talking mouths. And even though you can't hear them, they're somehow so overwhelmingly loud. And as you know, Nadia and Alyssa already brought up. Um, the dream sequence in particular is especially, you know, amazing at highlighting how he kind of felt like his career was ending and he was not, you know, ready to adapt to this new way of filmmaking. And sound continues through the entire film to play an integral part in carrying the story and the energy and sense of dread through the fantastic score. And the cast is amazing. Um, Dujardin reminds me a lot of Gene Kelly, and Bejo is adorable. I don't know why we don't see more of her more. Like, I need to dive into her filmography after this. I also love the cinematography, especially certain shots, like when George is talking to his shadow and the staircase in the studio. And overall, I found it to be, you know, a really great um, ode to the art form of silent film. It highlights sort of the romanticism of Hollywood, but then it kind of breaks the veneer to show the true side, as Nadia said, how nightmarish Hollywood can be and how difficult it was for many stars. Like I saw George as like a John Gilbert who saw his stardom fade while he kind of watched his ex Greta Garbo rise up in popularity with with talkies. Mm -hmm. But then they kind of came to this beautiful like collaboration at the end of John's career with Queen Christina, which kind of is reflected in this film as well with George and Peppy Miller. Um, yeah. And admire it wanting just to sort of bring the love for silent films back in a modern, in a modern cinematic landscape and sort of acting like a conduit for modern audiences to kind of discover a whole new era and its stars. And I just love movies about movies in Hollywood. So it was easy for me to, you know, enjoy this film and admire it. So you're glad you finally checked it off the list? Yeah. Awesome. I am. I love when this retrospective can do that for anybody on the team. I always love that every year. Uh, so my history with the artist, obviously, went and saw it in the theater uh, when it officially got released in, uh, I believe, wide release. I don't think we traveled to see this one, if I remember correctly. But I do remember going to the theater. I remember all the buzz and all the hype surrounding it. I went uh, with my sister and we saw it together. And... I remember walking out thinking to myself, that was lovely. That was delightful. Great time, great watch, easy, super, super breezy. And then I just kind of felt to myself, but that's 
that's what's going to win Best Picture? Because the hype had already kind of started about this being the front runner, and I didn't really buy into that. And to be honest with you, when it became the juggernaut that it became throughout that award season, I still struggled with it all the way until the very, very end. And in the years since then, to Howard's point earlier, I, I agree. I do think that this film is one of those movies where the Best Picture uh, award has actually made it a target for people, and it has not been able to uphold uh, underneath the scrutiny that people throw at it when whenever that um, prize gets bestowed upon it. So I think if it hadn't won Best Picture, I do think that its legacy would be looked upon more favorably, but also, too, I recognize that maybe not as many people would have seen it. I, I think the uh, Academy Awards run that it had has allowed people to keep it in the conversation and will allow for, um, as was said earlier, this may be to be some folks' first silent film that they ever see because it was made in the modern era. What's most remarkable about The Artist to me is um, how well it recreates that era through its composition, through its editing techniques, through the techniques in camera. Uh, there, like you know, I compared a lot to something like Mank, which was a movie that had certain nods to the era here and there, and there were some consistencies in the filmmaking that would be um, that would be uh, familiar with the time, like the sound work in Mank, for example, but. The artist, through and through, from top to bottom, aspect ratio, lighting, the way the music is utilized to uh, accentuate emotions within a scene, the acting styles of the actors, the fact that it's in uh, 22 frames per second as opposed to 24 frames per second. Like, this movie feels very much like it was not made in 2011. It really does feel like a movie of... It's time. And I think that's very remarkable. I, maybe the only giveaway is that uh, the picture quality is pretty pristine. You know, it doesn't have like scratches and things like that you would see on like an older uh, film print necessarily. But other than that, I mean, this film is so charming, especially if you're a film lover. I think if you're a film lover, it gets an extra boost from people. Um, if you're not a film lover, I... Don't know where you're going to fall with this because you might just view it the same way you probably would with your biasness towards other black and white silent films from decades ago, which is you probably don't care for them and you probably don't want to watch them. No offense, Sarah, but the way you said that before when you were 16, I'm sure many, many people have said that and still continue to say that well beyond the age of 16. So my wife hates this movie and I, I watched it with her back in 2011 and to this day like I was gonna rewatch this she's like you can rewatch that one on your own I'm not watching that again I think for the exact same reason so, so who gets custody how in case <laughs> if you two decide to split um <laughs> no I know seriously um your wife and I need to have a chat about this later um but I I do think that it, it is interesting how the movie as a experiment as a wink and an, a, a nod and a homage to this era um, it provides so much delight in its technique and its craft 
And it needs to, because quite frankly, the story... There's nothing original about this story whatsoever. And there's nothing challenging about this story. There's nothing new being said about this story. It's a well-told story. It works. But it's very simplistic. Agreed. You know, and, and like I said, other movies have tackled essentially this exact same story. Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our 2011 throwback review for The Artist here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full over hour and a half long review, you will have to head on over to our Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Watch them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.